Well, welcome back, everybody, to our Creo Collective podcast. And today I'm joined by both my co-host or uh, buddy, I don't know what we call each other, uh, Mike, and Judy Brower. Did I say your last name right? Brower? Get right. So how are you going to describe me? She is our special guest today, <laughs> and hopefully she comes back after today and putting up with us. Um, but today we're going to be having a conversation, and I hope that that is how you feel as we are sipping coffee, drinking tea, and drinking smoothies, uh, really around uh, empowering people. And to be really frank, I want to zero in on how we can empower women in our in our priesthood of all believers. And I think that's really where the conversation is going to start. So as we begin to transition here, Judy, why don't you tell us just sort of your story a little bit and uh, what your views are in terms of empowering people. Just that's a nice, big, open topic that we can go from. Wait, how many hours is this podcast? It can be as long as we need and we will, we will break it down for our viewers. (laughs) Okay. So something like just happened in me when you Empowering the priesthood of all believers is something that I've always, always valued. I think that priesthood of all believers is a, is a descriptive term that my husband talks about all the time. And I totally believe in it, but that's just it. Like, that's what this conversation is about. All believers are priests and all of us are priests together in some kind of a mysterious way and so i love this conversation for men and women and kids and every single person in the body of christ um when you said tell us your story the first thing that came to my mind in connection with that is that i had worked for young life for like uh 10 years in Southern California and also had been volunteering in our church youth group. And my sons had worked with me um, as student leaders and student staff leaders. And then it just felt like it was right for my oldest to become the area director for Young Life. And our youth pastor messed up pretty bad. And my husband ended up saying, you know, I was kind of interim running it. And the elders ended up deciding that I would take that role as high school director and my son would do the young life area director and we would work together because we had always partnered. Did you just say director? Yes. I said director. You you were not, you were not given the the same status. No, not that title. Or you were, they just took the title away because it made people happy. Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure we clarified that. The crazy thing that happened in the context of all of that. And I only did it for two years. And then we moved, but, um, there was a church across town that was, uh, a ton more conservative in their theology. And they were kind of this other big church, um, evangelical church in the, in Burbank. And, um, I got a call from the youth pastor one day and he's like, Hey, let's get together and talk. And I'm like, what? He's going to talk to me. That's awesome. So he shows up at my office with an elder. And they sit me down and tell me that they just want me to know that our youth groups are never going to do anything together because I am in sin. And I'm like, I'm like, what? Like, you're here to tell me that I don't have any right to be. I'm like, 
You left me here alone. You didn't give me a chance to have an elder or a pastor who put me in this position. Shouldn't you be talking to them? Shouldn't your theology require you to be at in my husband's office telling him that he's in sin? Because I don't know. All I know is that Jesus called me to the Great Commission. And I love kids and I love Jesus and he's put me in this place and I'm just going to keep living it out. And if that's not something you can support, then yeah. As you say that, Judy, I literally ringing my head because it, it just saddens me because it's, it's a microcosm of what happens in the church, right? Like we disenfranchise things that we don't like. We, we push them away, we squash them, and we really quench the spirit, like, to be really frank. And so as you're sharing your story, I just hear opportunities down the road that were destroyed in that moment because, yeah, I don't know, people want to play the role of God almost. Yeah. It's, it's foolish. The thing that I love is that no opportunities are ever destroyed. Okay. God is. But right, the saddest part to me, honestly, is what that church was missing out on. And then what the less effective expression of the gospel that they got to be in that season, right? And it also makes me sad that women were sidelined and all that stuff. But it's just such a big, complicated issue that's, that's deeper than, than males being stupid. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, a deeper issue of women are made in the image of God. You know, so um, Adam and Eve, male and female, made in the image of God. So part of understanding um, what God is like is to understand women, because women are made in the image of God. And when we don't value and listen to and hear the voice of of women who are working with us, men. Um, so you've got men and women side by side, working together for the sake of the gospel, which was God's plan. And it it's a great, it helps us understand what God is like. And men help us understand what God is like, and women help us understand what God is like. And when, when you don't it not just allow, but pursue the voice of women, I, I think you rob yourself of hearing and understanding what God is like. And I, I think it's just a tragedy. Yeah, it, it started from the very beginning, like you said, because I get this picture of male and female, he created us. And he created us, male and female, to reign and reproduce, right? To create culture and to uh, expand culture together. And we decided, I think, somewhere along the line, that women are the ones who reproduce and men are the ones who create the culture. And that they're almost separate. Like, you stay over there and reproduce and we'll go over here and create culture. and. It's bigger than the church. It's the way that God designed the world to actually function, male and female together doing that. And so it's like, 
from the from the very beginning it's been that way and we take that male and female and we go crazy about it in relation to sexuality as if what god's really about is making sure that men and women have sex together what what that is so like it's so small I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't think sex is small, but I think that what we have turned that that beautiful design for humanity into is small. And it's part of the reason that the church is small in the world. So I, I want to pull out uh, the beautiful design piece that you just said and something that hit me. In your, a few comments ago that you were talking about the full expression of the gospel. So I think there is a beautiful design and an intended full expression of the gospel that the church is, honestly, that we as the priesthood of believers are missing out on. And I think it's we've just become passive in pressing forward into kingdom life together, into understanding each other. And so can... <clears throat> How can how can we begin to see that beautiful design and take on the full expression of the gospel? Because I think it's paradigm shifting, right? And and it's a way of life. It's not like, well, you do it just because, or in this one instance, like we're talking about really taking on, I think, the nature of God in how we live out our everyday. And so how could we help us with that conversation a little bit because i mean that's something i'm struggling with i think about how, how, what are steps i can begin to take how can i understand more of like what god has intended and live more freely in it even if it costs me something yeah well it definitely starts with a paradigm shift like i think a paradigm shift is pretty much everything because you live out of what you see and believe. And I think that there's subconscious beliefs that exist both in men and women. It's almost like I've never thought of this before, but it happened again when you use the word priesthood of all believers. It's like what we really see is male priesthood, female believers. And we separate them out. And I think that men are somewhat afraid of women's faith. And what's supposed to be nurturing to men, what's supposed to be life-giving to the church is a threat. And you said something, uh, Mike, and I'm not sure if it's before we started or, oh yeah, it was before we started. And you were talking about um, the way that women are relational and the way that our conversations flow back and forth. Cause you know, like we're all, women are like spaghetti and men are like waffles or whatever, that old illustration. And so we bring life and faith together in this as naturally as we breathe because we are designed that way. And men have more compartmentalized thinking. And so when we think about bringing women into things, we compartmentalize it and go, oh, well, women can do this and women can do this and women can do this and women can do this. But men don't see women as essential to the life of the church, the everyday life of the church. At home you do, right? You can't have a home 
that, that, that functions the way God intended it to without a female influence. I don't mean to say that categorically because men can rise up when they need to and they do and raise their children beautifully. But female influence is given almost free reign at home and then almost shut down in the church. Yeah, and, you know, Judy, when you say that, it makes me think about how so many uh, male leaders that I know, um, whenever we talk about what we what we should be doing, all of a sudden their heads go in, in into the mode of, I want to do the right things. I want to make sure that we're <clears throat> taking the right steps, that sort of thing. But but they fail to value. Like it's like I'm I'm gonna do I'm I'm gonna take the right steps and do the right things by putting women in position and giving them a voice and that sort of thing. But it's not like they're actually interested in their voice. Yeah. They're just trying to take the right steps. But they fail to value you actually have something really beautiful to say. You have a perspective that I'm very interested in. And so I think um, sometimes, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I think that oftentimes in men trying to give women opportunity and position and voice, um, women still don't feel valued and loved. They feel used, right? So it's like a, a man is using or managing a woman to feel like he's taking the right steps for his church and being obedient and that sort of thing. But it's not like he really wants to hear her voice and that he understands that she brings something to the table that he doesn't. And that there's a perspective that represents the heart of God that has been missing and he no longer wants it to be missing. And so I I think there's a value thing behind that. That's, that's really significant. What do you think? Any thoughts on that, Tim? Well, I I was going to say, and I was going to add to what Mike was saying. He he actually mentions we've almost <clears throat> created a different set of expectations too. So when we do that, we hold women to a different standard, and it's it's just well they they must perform in this fashion, or well we can't do this again. It's very, it's very limited. Yeah. And so not only have we benched, you know, 60 plus percent of the team, probably, um, we've minimized what they bring to the table and then we've created a different benchmark for them to attain instead of just saying, well, Mike said, like, they have a beautiful perspective. Yeah. And I, I think that's because we can't get out of our compartments. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's true. And even I think as husbands, um, men struggle with. So my mind is going back to First Peter 3, where in the one verse that addresses men, it talks about uh, nurturing your wives uh, as a weaker vessel and honoring as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So there's this Take care of, nurture, protect, like use your male strength to care for women and use your male strength to call women out 
why do you think, why do men think that it's their job to raise up male leaders and to say, no, your voice matters. Get up here to the table. What do you need from me in order to feel adequate, in order to feel um, wanted at this table? Because you've got to be at this table. Your voice has to be here. And if you're going to come here and be arrogant or you're going to come here with a chip on your shoulder, that's not going to work. Right? So we got to get rid of that chip on your shoulder. That's ugly. That is not how God designed you to function in the church. And it's not your fault it's there, but it's there. So let's talk about this. Right? Oftentimes I feel like I've been suppressed for so long that when someone wants to talk to me, I feel like I've got a lifetime of stuff I want to say. And then I throw up and I need men to say, okay, slow down. This isn't going to be your only chance. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it is. If I don't, if I don't, if I don't cram my voice in there, um, at any little opportunity, um, then it's just going to be silenced. And I, I don't think that God wants my voice silenced because for 40 some years, I have pursued him in ways that, that are so deep and they're so powerful. And I am so alive at the deepest part of my being, um, spiritually and missionally. I don't think you can separate them. And so I just have, I want to serve and bless the church. And then I get pushed out. And so I say, well, so seven years in, in San Francisco, I'm living on my own on mission. I decided that I would um, see myself as the pastor of my neighborhood. Not call myself that, but just begin to live as that's, that's what God wanted me there for. And so I did, and I didn't have any fruit in the sense of what would happen if you were planting a church, and I didn't have a core group, and I didn't have an elder board. I didn't even have a partner besides my husband, who was also working full-time and, and gone a lot. But I, um, I remember being in a group where we were talking about urban ministry, and, and I was talking out loud, you know, processing out loud, going, is it possible that what that what happens in my living room is church? And the response in the room was, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, well, if two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. If you, if you took a church of a thousand and you had, and the church is really what it's supposed to be, maybe you'd have 600 believers and 400 unbelievers. So maybe if we have a whole room full of unbelievers and two believers, it's the same. And a pastor said to me, Judy, that's not the church. Just take it from those of us who know. That's what he said. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So not only am I over here just sort of dying on the vine because what I get is that's nice, Judy. Oh, that's so nice, Judy. Neil's wife, look what Neil's wife's doing. Look at what Neil's wife's doing. Sort of, we'll give it a nod. And it's like, Dang. And that's part of the reason that I feel like this whole value of valuing of women has to be outside of, of just men 
making room for their wives or saying my wife is so cool and she's really my better half. Actually, I think those things are probably more offensive to me than any role I'm given or not given because it just feels so condescending. And it, it just puts me back in my place as you're there to be a hidden, uh, a hidden resource, um, an unvalued resource. And your husband's lucky to have you. I'm sure he is. But actually, life might be hell for you at home. Because I, when Neil got interviewed for positions, it would be, once he, early on in our ministry, they had me leave the room so they could ask him who wore the pants in our family. Not like, well, we both have them on today, right? And that, you know, that's this message that I was given. And then, oh, what was the other one? It was so significant. Oh, I know, just recently, um, a church that we had a lot of deep connection with wanted Neil to leave San Francisco and come be their senior pastor. So we decided that God wanted us to do this. And so Neil talked a lot about, because we had planted together. And he said, we're just not going to do anything not together anymore. And I'm like, Neil, I'm not going to go. It's like the first time I've ever said it. I'm not going to go. Be shut out of the life of the church and have to go create. I can create my own ministry. I can do it. Done it my whole life. But I don't, I'm, I'm done with that. I don't want to do it anymore. And so as he expressed that to this group of people that was interviewing us, he was asked in private in the meeting that I wasn't included in, so is Judy going to have an office at the church or what? Like, what kind of a role are you, what kind of a role are you talking about her playing? Like, it was just so outside the paradigm of women being a significant, I mean, even in the White House. They get offices, whether they have qualifications or not, and they get to do whatever they want, but it isn't siloed off. I don't know. Sorry, I'm going off. I'm going to be quiet now and let you guys talk to me. No, the, whole, the whole point, Judy, is that you don't have to be quiet. <laughs> You're here. I eventually believe that. But I, I do. I do. And you guys, this is what I. But, what you, bring, but you bring so much to the table that, that Mike and I don't, which yeah, is, sure. is so great, right? And yeah. this isn't about a one-off. Honestly, we should probably have you back to continue this conversation. And we I, we should invite more women <laughs> into yeah. the conversation. Um, the thing I'm coming to realize is that women are, women can't really, women are empowered by the Holy Spirit and women can empower themselves. Um, to have an impact, but only men can empower women to have the impact God intends for us to have on the church as a whole. And so we get over here, go work, go work with women, go work with women, go work with women. And if, and if I just go work with women, then I actually perpetuate the problem, I think. And right now the situation has gotten so complex. Because a lot of women do have a chip on their shoulder. A lot of women are wounded. No women have really been valued to the point where they actually know how to believe in themselves and come to the table and offer who they are. And so it's not going to be easy for men to 
actively empower women. Um, and I think what's going to ha happen first is that men can't be afraid of women. And there's good reasons for men to be afraid of women, but there are men we need to be afraid of too, right? Because if you're not walking in humility and you're not walking in the spirit and there's not mutual submission, then women should be quiet. And maybe that's what was going on in the church that Paul was talking to. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you yeah. guys are the best. I like talking to you. I feel oh. freedom. And, I, and, and that's what I long for, freedom. And I think men will be more free and more empowered when women are more free and empowered. Judy, there are, there are two thoughts that come to mind as you're sharing. Uh, one being that I think the church for so long has, has separated people. And what I mean by that is you put the women in one group on a certain night of the week, the men in a group, the children in a group, you separate the whole family. And there's something missing when we're not learning from each other. And there's something beautiful when you have men, women, children, all sharing and contributing in a part of the dialogue and a part of the culture that mm -hmm. I, I think is fuller and a better expression of what it means to be a family. And I, I think we've really missed that. And the second thing that comes to mind is power. I just think that uh, a large part of our issue is that the church has been so authority and power hungry. And it's, it's really unhealthy because when you hear Jesus talking about leadership, he's constantly redefining it as serving, mm -hmm. as, as empowering people and serving people and running to the bottom, not the top. And yet we want to sit here and define who's an authority over who. And that becomes a big part of our conversation. I don't know that that's even healthy, Judy. I, th I think that our, our passion should be, how do we serve each other? How do we submit to each other? How do we learn from each other? Rather than, am I in charge over you? I mean, is that, is that the type of thing that we should be fixated on in the church world? Not the thing Jesus was ever fixated on. And it isn't the thing Paul was fixated on. I mean, we can take, we can take the, those tiny little, those tiny little places in scripture that talk specifically about male, female and make them the biggest thing um, that we have to pay attention to if we're going to do this right. Or we can just go pursue men and women walking together with Jesus, like in real authentic relationships. I think a part of the reason that, that porn addictions are a big deal in the church is because that can't be spoken about in the context of women being present. Why not? It has done more damage to women. Like as an oppressed group in the world, I think that rape and sexual abuse are this, this long-term sprinkled in slavery thing. And it still affects. It's the way that, it's the way that men relate with women as objects. 
And if women can't speak into that in men's lives, how are men ever supposed to be free? I don't think they can. And for one woman to have to be alone as the only female speaking into her husband's life in something that's so destructive to their lives, to their family, to the church at large, and have it just be hidden in the darkness because we can't go there. We can't talk about that elephant in the room. So men have to have their own small groups where they get real. And then women have to go talk about yelling at their kids or not keeping their house clean enough. Or I don't know what, I don't know what you think we talk about over there. <laughs> but we can talk with you guys. That's a great point, Judy. I mean, if, if, that, if that type of conversation around porn addiction happened in mixed company, then men would have to look at women who are looking back at them and talk about a topic where women are being treated like an object. And they're going to be forced to think about the fact that here are all these women looking at me. Mm-hmm. And I've got to really address these things in my heart that I objectify women. And that that's a problem, right? Because these people are my friends, my sisters, and this is not healthy. And we have so much compassion to give, so much compassion and grace. And y'all need to, to receive compassion from us. I think we want to give it. So what the heck are we doing? And, and Judy, something Tim said earlier that I want to circle back on before our, our time's over is I, I really, he mentioned um, being passive. And I, I just want to, you know, sort of put a spotlight on that and say, I really feel strongly that there are a lot of leaders out there that are going, oh, no, like we, we don't, we don't push women down. We totally give opportunity to women. Like women can do anything in our church. It's totally cool. They could do whatever they want. But saying that isn't actually going to create a culture of empowerment. You have to pursue it. It, It's not going to happen passively. You have to actively pursue an environment where everybody's voice is valued and, and people have equal opportunity. Um, so your, your thoughts to that, because I see a lot of people saying, no, we don't suppress women, but women don't feel like they could actually step up and do it. What do you think? I think it's true, but I think there's this underlying thing is that it's very risky and it's very messy. And it's risky for women and it's risky for men because uh, we're so concerned about protecting the family the individual family and we're so worried about inappropriate stuff that can happen between men and women if they get too intimate with one another and i remember you know deb hirsch i i I don't think anything made me so happy as when deb hirsch said do we not have a holy spirit what are we so afraid of and i'm like i looked at it from two ways because i was a younger woman scared to death that my husband was going to fall in love with someone else in the church who worshipped him. Because that's another thing you guys use us for. Us pastors, we need the worship of women. 
And I would, I would look around me on Sunday mornings and go, these people don't know that I live with a real human. He's pretty awesome. But they think he's something totally different. And then they compare him to their husband. And they think they want to, they want my husband. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe if I got to know your husband, I'd want him. But what are we so afraid of? Because I was afraid. And one of the things that makes me even nervous about stepping into this arena, because I really have compassion on the way that pastors are trapped in this way that the church has always done thing. And maybe they're trapped in their theology, but I don't think that's a trap. I don't think it matters what your theology of roles is. And maybe they're just afraid of their own uh, inability to be strong with women. And maybe they're afraid that they can't manage the women and they're going to open Pandora's box and all hell is going to break loose. And it might, it might, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And so, yeah, why be active and let things go crazy when you can just be passive and sort of do things here and there to satisfy women. That's not what God's calling us to. So maybe we've opened Pandora's box here because for so. certain this conversation is far from over. So uh, we, sh- we will definitely be continuing this as uh, this podcast goes forward. And I just, I, I hope that there is a challenge in here, right? For our listeners that like Jesus was about the priesthood of all believers. That was the heart of God. And we are shining a light because we need to say that the, the, the voice of the woman needs to be valued and heard. I, 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 I want to share a quick story just about my wife and my wife. I mean, as a, as a, as a pastor, like we were really quickly put into a box. And when we were engaged to be married, she was like, I am not going to be a pastor's wife. I want you to know that. <laughs> and for the first three years of our marriage, that was a, like a little bit of a battle. What I love about my wife so much is that she is not a pastor's wife, mm-hmm. right? And her voice and value is far beyond what I can convey in the next 10 or 20 seconds because she brings so much to the table, the daily challenge of, of me, one of them. And so my hope is that we can begin to shine a light on this value even more as we go forward and press into this conversation. I love that. And I would like to just uh, say that I don't think that men are getting it wrong. I think we are getting it wrong. And I don't think it's about, look at us, we're in sin. I think it's about God saying, I just had so much more for you guys to experience as a body. It's about learning together. It is, and being together and reflecting in together and just knowing the deep down goodness of living in alignment. It's a beautiful design of God. Well, I really appreciate that living in alignment. And so my prayer is that we learn this more and more as a family. Yep. Well, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, for me, Tim, goodbye. For Mike, goodbye. For Judy, goodbye. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, please like, subscribe, share it with your friends. Again, I always say email Mike all of your questions. He is more than willing to answer every single one. <laughs> For each of us here, just I get the answer in like six months. (laughs) For each of us here, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the outside.